great to see you guys on this Friday, October 8th for DPP, Daily Power Parsha. The goal today will be to conclude the Torah portion of Noah, our studies in this Torah portion, number one, and number two, to study the Haftorah, which is groundbreaking. This is new, DPP charting new territory in our studies. Um, we're up to the seventh reading. I actually kind of like this way of doing it. So we study the Shabbat reading, number seven, and we study the Haftorah, and we'll wrap it up hopefully with some pre-Shabbat inspiration. Oh, it looks like Sarah dropped out and it's coming back in. Perfect. Okay. Let's get ready to rumble. Hey, Sarah, welcome back in. Good to have you. Okay, let's, uh, I'm going to share my screen, and you should see this right here. Oh, I already toggled the Torah. Here we go. This is Torah reading for Noach, reading number seven. As you recall yesterday, we read about, um, well, there was a lot of, like, chronology, but there was also the dark episode with Ham, the middle son of Noach who assaulted his father, and, uh, well, we spoke about the idea first, he points out, Whatever, he assaulted his father, and then the brothers treat respect his father respectfully. Ham is cursed. And then we went through the family tree from Noah. Um, and we kind of went through generations and generations of his sons and his children, grandchildren, etc. So now this takes us to reading number seven, where we have the next interesting episode, which is the generation of the great tower of Babel. What is the great tower of Babel? Let's jump in. Genesis chapter 11, verse number 1. Chapter 11, where the world goes bankrupt. Joking. Here we go. Now, chapter 11 reference. You guys with me? Just checking. Okay. I'm trying here. <laughs> All right. Verse number 1. Now, the entire earth was of one language and uniform words. So there was a unifying language and a unifying um, Words, yeah. There's one, one language for all of these different people. And it came to pass when they traveled from the east that they found a valley in the land of Shinar. They found a valley and settled there in the valley. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and fire them thoroughly. By the way, this is the advent of brick making. Before that, I mentioned this Wednesday night in the Torah studies class, before that, they would only use natural ingredients like wood and stone. Things that naturally could be hewn or cut. Bricks is a manufactured component. It's a composition item. They made bricks and they fired them, heat them up, bake them. So the bricks were to them for stones, right? They used bricks for stones and the clay was to them for mortar. So clearly there are advancements happening in building technology. Before building was somewhat primitive, now new methodologies are emerging in engineering, in architecture, in building edifices. Now that they have all this new know-how, this new know-how, there you go, let me say that correctly, verse number four, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower. That's going to be the focus, the tower, with its top to the heavens, top in the heavens, and let us make ourselves a name, lest we be scattered upon the face of the entire earth. All we know about their motive is what it says in verse number four. Let's build a city and a tower. 
that goes all the way to the heavens. Why? We'll make ourselves a name lest we be scattered. Now, as the story will unfold, it's going to be clear that God was not happy with this project. Wednesday night, we explored why, one angle and why God wasn't happy. I'll, I'll tell you this. In general, it seems like they were provoking, starting up, initiating war, if you will, with God. They were somehow provoking God, building up to the heavens, trying to... In some way, we had a, we had a wild interpretation that we cited Wednesday about them wanting to break... The, the, the bounds of gravity and then outside of gravity, build the tower so high they could get outside of gravity. And once outside of gra the gravitational pull, they could then go to the moon and settle and then be outside of God's dominion. God couldn't bring a flood on the moon if they were outside. Okay, that's a, that's a very fantastical interpretation. But I'll tell you this, either way, it comes down to this idea they wanted to get away from God. or They wanted to fight against God. They wanted to challenge God. Either one of these uh, um, approaches is, is kind of at least, least the same way. Now, the, but what it does say in the Chumash, and this is very important, what it does say is that their motivation was to make for themselves a name. Sounds like they wanted to be famous, which doesn't sound so bad. I mean, everyone nowadays wants to be famous, right? Everyone wants to be a, a star, an influencer, you know, someone that other people are checking out. So what's wrong with making themselves a name? I want to share with you an insight that the Rebbe shared shortly after the Holocaust. Um, this would have been 1950s. And the Rebbe said that when there has been a churban, churban means a destruction, a devastation, when our people has been wiped out, the response in the aftermath is rebuilding our people. Rebuilding physically, spiritually, rebuilding the Jewish people. It's not a time to look for fame. It's not a time to do something for yourself or to become famous or to become noteworthy. It's like imagine, God forbid, a natural disaster. And people are, are going there to help, to volunteer to help. And you have somebody there that's there to, 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 make, the, to make the papers, to get on TV, right? To, to, to mug the camera, so to speak, right? Look at me, I'm helping, right? I'm, I'm here for the, I'm here for the, for the, for the, um, for the news clippings. It's not nice. It's misplaced. It's not nice. It's not the right context. Look, you want to jump in front of cameras? Sure. But not, not now. Now it's, it's just wrong. It's not, it's not the right context. So in a similar fashion, after the world was destroyed with the flood, shortly thereafter, that you should invest time, effort, resources into a project that's a, whose objective, or th that, that its objective is to, build, to make themselves a name, right? To become famous, we built the biggest tower. That's misplaced focus. That's misplaced energy. Go and work and rebuild humanity. Rebuild the world into a better place. It's not about making yourself a name. Don't be selfish when, there is a, when there's a need for this selflessness. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's a bit of a different angle. Verse 5. Let's see what happens. And the Lord descended to see the city and the tower that the sons of man had built. What does it mean, descended? So we have a teaching. Teaching that our sages tell us, which is that a judge cannot judge a case until they are in that place. You can't judge you know, from afar because you don't know the dynamics of that place and the challenges that are there. And 
you know, you just you have to be on the ground. That's why court cases have to take place in the city in which it happened or in proximity to where the potential crime or whatever happened because it has to be with, uh, understood in context. So God, so to speak, descends to check out the situation. Because where God is, this doesn't look good. But let's see on the ground how it looks. And the Lord said, still doesn't look good. Lo, they are one people, and they all have one language. In other words, there's unity, which is beautiful. And this is what they have commenced to do? You kidding me? I'm, I'm, I'm reading it rhetorically. You have a people that are finally getting along, right? They're speaking the same language, literally and, and figuratively. And this is what they're doing. They're investing in a project, engaging in a project that's self-serving or that, that's, that's anti-God or at the very least self-serving. So God says, now will it not be withheld from them all that they have planned to do? In other words, do you think I'm going to let this happen? Of course not. Of course I'm going to prevent them from doing what they are planning on doing. Come, God says, the royal we, or maybe to the angels, let us descend and confuse their language so that one will not understand the language of his companion. They didn't get punished. All that happened was that their plans got thwarted. By the way, our plans get thwarted all the time, right? We, had, we all have plans. Everyone has plans, right? God, man plans and God laughs. We all have plans. So they had a plan. They wanted to build a tower. Can't build a tower. How many projects have started in Midtown Atlanta? They have building projects that folded. Yeah, they planned on building a skyscraper. Oh, the economy turned, the funding uh, um, dried up. Things happened. So they weren't punished. It's just the project didn't happen. So what happened? How, how, but how did it work out this time with, with this tower? So God confused the language. That means that instead of speaking literally and figuratively the same language, they began speaking different languages. This is the emergence of the 70 languages of the 70 nations. Everyone started speaking different languages. As Rashi says, um, actually, it's a, cute, it's a cute Rashi. Let's pull, it, let's pull it up. Verse 7, Rashi says, They will not understand. Okay, this one requested a brick, and that one brings mortar. This one, the first one stands and cracks his skull. <laughs> there you go. Seems like it did get a little violent. Uh, maybe not literally. I, I, I picture like three stooges of physical humor, right? The guy asks for a, br for a brick. He brings mortar. It's like, what are you doing? Ask for the thing. And, and before you know it, there, it devolves into just disunity because they're not speaking the same language. Or like any project or many projects, it begins with a singular focus. And soon, soon, it ends up a situation where you have differences of opinion about a project, right? One person says, no, the project should be about this. The other one says it should be about that. The other one says, no, this should be the focus. And then it doesn't get off the ground because there's too many cooks in the kitchen. And uh, they're, not, they're not doing the same thing. So that's what happens here. And the Lord, let's continue, verse 8. And the Lord scattered them from there upon the face of the entire earth. And they ceased building a city. So basically, instead of unified, you know, everyone should live in the same high rise. They moved out laterally. Instead of vertical growth, they experienced lateral growth. Therefore, he named it Babel, or in Hebrew, Bavel, which is related to the word Balal, as we'll see right there. If you look at the Hebrew, Bavel, Balal, it's somewhat similar. 
and it means mixed or confused. So like a chalant. Therefore, he named the Babel, that's what we call the Tower of Babel. He named that place Babel. For there, the Lord confused the language of the entire earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them upon the face of the entire earth. Now, this sounds, again, like a punishment. It wasn't so much a punishment as it was just a way to stop the project. But it also ends up creating, in the process of the confusion, it creates diversity which turns out is actually a, a good thing. Diversity, different people, different language, different cultures. It's a good thing. What's, what's ideal? That somebody, that everybody should speak the same language and have the same culture, the same way of dress, the same food? It's a boring world like that. It's boring. Right? Imagine if you went to Manhattan and they had one restaurant. It's called food because everyone eats the same food. It's boring. Now you can go to Manhattan. And you could have a kosher Indian, you could have kosher Chinese, you could have kosher um, um, Israeli food, you could have kosher um, um, Italian food, you could have kosher French cuisine. I don't know why I changed from food to cuisine by French, but that's, I don't know, whatever, I have to figure that out. But you have all the flavors of the world because there's diversity. So is it a punishment? I don't know if it's a punishment. It's, it's, actually, it's actually a good thing. Diversity. Diversity is a good thing. As long as people can respect each other's differences. Ray, jump in. So, were these other languages, were they being spoken in various places where God sent them? Or did these people each start a language where they were sent? That's a great question. My understanding is they started, it sounds like this is the emergence of different language. That's what it sounds like. From a, from, a, from a surface reading of the text. Now, it could be there's a deeper dive, the Medrash and the Gemara and the Talmud. It's very possible, probably probable, that there's a deeper treatment of that. But the simple reading of it seems like they, they were speaking one language. That's how this reading begins. They were all speaking the same language. And then through this experience, it diversified. So the 70 nations? The 70, nation? 70 nations, yes. exactly. Yeah. 70, 70 nations... And 70 languages. Exactly. 70 languages. This is di- the, the origins of diversity. So it's almost like, you know how the, on the money it says, e pluribus unum, from many one? This is the opposite. It's um, from one many. This is from like a oneness many. And again, you can ask, what, what, why did God mess it up? If everyone's speaking the same language, it would have been a beautiful world. Well, you know. It depends what you use the unity for. Like if, if, if there's unity and it's used for a good thing, that's great. If it's used to, you know, for nefarious purposes, then it's not a good thing. Then maybe we divide, you know, just split it. It's like the 12 tribes. I mean, there's distinctions. We're not computers, you know, we're not uniform. Yeah, we're mo- not monolithic. It's not like a one, you know, like a, a singular mold. The Talmud says, the greatness of God is that God creates all human beings from the same mold that he created Adam with, but everyone looks different, right? It says the minter of a coin uses a mint and all the coins come out the same. But God used the, uses the same mint, that's what it says, and yet every person looks different. Everyone comes out different, not only in appearance, but also in my thoughts and feelings and spiritual character. So that's, that's the idea. The idea is diversity, and it's a good thing. So is it a punishment? I don't know if it's a punishment. It's a consequence. They weren't using, they weren't utilizing their unity properly. They were using it either to start up with God 
or for ego and, and just selfish purposes, God says, all right, now is the time to create some diversity, and that's going to naturally put an end to this negative project, and life will go on. And this is life as we know it. Okay, let's jump back in. Hold on, what am I doing here? Let's jump back into the text. Okay, now, verse 10, the Torah once again gets into um, family tree. Here we go. These are the generations of shame. Now remember, shame is important. I told you this yesterday. Semite. We have a a course coming up about outsmarting anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism means anti-Semite, being anti-Semite. A Semite is really a Shemite, someone from the family of shame. Jews come from shame. So now the Torah focuses in on shame. We dealt with all three sons of Noah in the previous, yes, in yesterday's reading. All of them were kind of discussed a few generations. But now the Torah focuses in, it zooms in on this one family tree because this will lead directly to Abraham and the Jewish people, which is where the story goes next. These are the generations of shame. Shame, the oldest son of Noah. Shame was 100 years old and he begot a parchshad two years after the flood. That means that when the flood was going on, he was the ripe old age of 98. There you go. So he was 100 years old and he had the son Aparshad. And Shame lived after he begot Aparshad 500 years. And he begot sons and daughters. And Aparshad lived five, uh, 35 years and he begot uh, Shalach. And Aparshad lived after he begot Shalach 403 years. And he begot sons and daughters. So Aparshad lived, let's see. Oh, no, no, sorry. Shame lived 600 years. He was 100 when he had Aparshad, and he lived another 500 years. So Shame was 600 years old when he passed away. Aparshad was um, 35 when he had a, a child, and he lived another 403 years. So what's 35 plus 403? It's 438. 438 years. Okay. Let's continue the next generation. And Shalach lived 30 years. And he begot Eber. Eber. Okay. And Shalach lived after he begot Eber 403 years. Which means he lived 433 years. And he begot sons and daughters. By the way, this is very important. You see this begot sons and daughters? We're not mentioning everybody by name. We're mentioning key characters or at least one representative per generation so that we can see the 10 generations, how things, you know, move from Noah to Abraham. So not everyone's mentioned. There were additional sons and daughters, and that's clearly indicated in the Torah text, right? That's it right there. And there and there. In all the verses, it talks about sons and daughters. Let's continue. And Aver lived 34 years, and he begot Peleg. And Aver lived after he begot Peleg 430 years, and he begot sons and daughters, verse 18. And Peleg lived 30 years, and he begot Reu. And Peleg lived after he had begotten Reu 209 years. Oh, they're getting uh, younger and younger. And he begot sons and daughters. And Reu lived 32 years, and he begot Surug. And Reu lived after he begotten Surug 207 years, and he begot sons and daughters. And Surug lived 30 years, and he begot Nachar. This is, this is very important. Nachar. Remember that name. And Surug lived after he begotten Nachar 200, 200 years, and he begot sons and daughters. And Nachar lived 29 years, and he begot Terach. 
Actually, Terach is the name that you need to remember. Terach. Who is Terach? Abraham's father. That's right. Terach is the father of Abraham. So we're we're moving, we're winding our way down the generations. And now we have, we had, um, again, just to, to mention the generations. We had Noah, Shame. So we have Noah is one, Shame is two, Aparshad is three, Shelach is four, Aver is five, Peleg is six, Ru'u is seven, Srug is eight, Nachar is nine, Terach is ten. Right? Ten. Terach was the tenth generation from Noah, but after Noah, the tenth generation will be Terach's son or sons. Here we go. And Nachar lived after he began Terach, 119 years, and he got sons and daughters. And Terach, let's get to Terach now. That's going to be a big, a big guy. Terach lived 75 years. And he begot Abram, or Avram, Nachar, which was a nod to his grandfather. Terach named him after his, well, Terach named him after his father, right? His father's name was Nachar, and he named his son Nachar after his father, I guess when his father passed away. So he had three sons, Terach did. Avram, Nachar, and Haran. Okay, three, three brothers, Avram, Nachar, and Haran. And these are the generations of Terach. Terach begot Avram, Nachar, and Haran. I know we literally said it, but the Torah repeats it. And Haran begot Lot. Okay, Lot will play into the narrative, the Abrahamic narrative, as it unfolds. And Haran died during the lifetime of Terach, his father. Remember, Haran is the son, Terach is the father. Terach had three sons, but one of his sons, Haran, passed away at a young age, before his father. So Haran died during the lifetime of Terach's father in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldees. In the Hebrew, it's Ur Kastim, which I'll explain, I'll talk about in a moment. So there are three son, three, two brothers remaining. There were three brothers, right? Avram, Nachar, and Haran. What happens is Haran passes away. Now, all that's left from Haran is his son Lot, which is the nephew of Avram and Nachar. This is why Lod hangs out with Avram, because his father had passed away. I'm going to speak about how his father passed away in a moment. Very, very wild story. Um, Av- and Avram and Nachar took themselves wives. They got married. The name of Avram's wife was Sarai. Now, you have to understand, Avram will become Avraham, and Sarai will become Sarah. But that's going to happen in a little bit. Initially, they had different names. I mean, slightly different names. Avram and Sarai. They both got the letter He added to their name. Avram becomes Avraham, and Sarai becomes Sarah. They each get the letter He, which is a divine letter. It's the right for Hashem's name. They each get a letter He in their in their in their name, but not yet. Not not at this point. This is their original name. Avram and Sarai. Now that's one brother, and the other remaining brother was Nachar, and the name of Nachar's wife was Milcah. The daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Yiska. All right, well now you know the family tree. A very important clue is dropped over here. Sarai was barren, she had no child. By the way, ultimately, ultimately, God, when God changes the name of Sarai to Sarah, he says, ah, oh, or he says, Abraham. He says, Abraham can't have, Avram can't have children. Avraham can. 
Sarai can't have children, but Sarah can. This becomes the source in Jewish law for adding a name when seeking a blessing. Sometimes if a person is seeking a blessing, so there's the idea that maybe the mazel, maybe one's um, destiny is not to have that blessing, but with a name change, it might, it might kickstart a new mazel because it's a new energy, a new spiritual energy that can, that can um, it's kind of like restarting the router, you know, it's like whatever internet connection was coming in just was not working out. You just got to restart it and it pulls again, refresh the, uh, the IP address or whatever it is. It just, it just pulls it again. And uh, yeah, Donna? Yeah, I mean, is there any formality if someone as an adult nowadays would want to, you know, take like their Hebrew name as a... Yes, as for a sure. It's done by the Torah. It's a special blessing. So it... If one makes a commitment and has the blessing, and then, then that's it. I mean, then it's yeah. Not uh, maybe. I'm I'm not sure about the mik. Maybe it could be that the mikvah yes. is a part of it. It is okay. Yeah. What? Okay. All right. Um, but what, yeah. But I I mean the, at least the synagogue part is that during the synagogue reading at some point there's a blessing made and um, and the name is uh, is formalized. We've done it before. Yeah, we've done it before for adults. Yeah, Ray. Now, now there's two sides to what you're saying. Like I, I wanted, I did change my name uh, because my son married someone with the same name, and she was going to have to take her middle name. So I said, well. So I went. All right. So the rabbi asked that he wouldn't do it. Why? Because. You don't know the meters of the person whose name you're taking. You, you can end up not good. Right. Anyway, it ended up I did it, but not with him. And um, so we don't know if it was for good or not for good. You know what I'm saying? I'm with you. That's, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, Ray, you should be blessed with only open and real blessings. <laughs> Um, I will say this, the, tr the typical context for adding a name is typically in the case of somebody that needs, well, somebody needs healing. Yeah, somebody needs a refuah shlem, somebody needs good health. Right. We add a name like Chaim or Chaya, which means life, or Rafael, which means healing, or the various you know, forms of you know, blessing, um, Bracha, which means blessing. Um, for a woman, so uh, there are names that can be, now someone who never was given a Hebrew name, they choose a Hebrew name, that's not changing a name, that's choosing a name, and that's definitely done very common, it doesn't have to be for, you know, extenuating circumstances, it can be done for, you know, embracing a Hebrew name, which is always a good thing. Yeah, so, right, you know, like I, like you know, I always wanted to have a bus fist, but also my, my parents made the decision not, you know, that I had a Hebrew name, but they made a decision to give me my a formal American, they made that decision, you know. What is, remind, I always wish they had, what? Remind, Dina. Dina. yeah, Dina. Dina. With an I, with an I. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, my wife, Leah's sister is also Dina with an I. Um, here's the thing, here's the thing. You have a Hebrew name. So now, the next step is to use it. Right. All right, Dina, so we, you got to use it. Exactly. <laughs> by the way, it would be cool if we all went by our Hebrew names. Just saying. Right. It would be a cool thing. Just not going to lie. And again, so if you have a Hebrew name, pull it out. Use it. 
especially in a in a safe context like this. Absolutely. Um, if you don't have a Hebrew name, we can schmooze about that, and we can uh, come up with it. If you're looking to change a name or add a name, all right, that's that's already you know a, a more elaborate conversation. Which I think was Ray, r- r- what Ray was referencing is now you're you're talking about you know modifying energies, and so, uh, so then then it becomes a more of a of a of a conversation. Well, I chose two good things. I'm now I, I chose Rachel Leah Rachel That you cannot go wrong with that. You cannot go wrong with that. It's a lot of blessings. Okay, so but ba- the reason why this comes up is because initially they were Avram and Sarai, and Sarai was barren. And our sages say Sarai was barren, but not Sarah, right? Sarai was barren. She had no child. Let's continue. And Terach took Avram, his son. Oh, hold on, let me, let me slow down here. Terach was the father of the three boys. Two of them that survived. Terach took Avram, his son, and Lot, the son of, of, of Haran. So he took his son and his grandson. Oh, his grandson. And Sarai, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Avram, his son. And they went forth with him from Orkastim, or of the Chaldees, to go to the land of Canaan. And they came as far as Haran. That's the place called Haran. Or Haran. This is Haran now. There's Haran, there's Haran. The English spells it the same. It's driving me bananas. Anyway, Haran was the brother of Avram who passed away, whose son was Lot. Haran is the place that they moved because they had to get out of Orkastim, because I'll tell you why in a second. And they settled there in Haran. And the days of Terach were 205 years, and Terach died in Haran. Okay, so I want to give you, I, I, just, I feel like it, it, could, it can get complicated. It's not complicated, but it could sound complicated. Let me try to simplify this. We have a father and three sons. One of the sons dies, but not before he has his own son. The grandson now is Lot. So Lot's now hanging out with the rest of the Mishpacha. And uh, the grandfather, or the father, whatever, the, the, the patriarch of the family, Terach, travels with his son Avram and his grandson, Lot. They leave Orkastim, where the family had been built, the family had been established, and they moved to a place called Haran. They were headed to Canaan, but they, they ended up in Haran. This sets the stage for next week's Torah portion where God tells Abram at a, at a, when he's 75 years old, it's time to finish that journey that your father started. It's time to go from Haran to the promised land. And that begins the Lech Lecha, the, go, the, the journey forth that God's... And he brings Lot with him. Not his father, he brings Lot with him. Now, so, yeah. One, so one other brother, is it true he married his niece? Yes. Milka. Yes. Nahor married Milka, the daughter of Haran. Correct. He married, he married his, niece. his niece. Correct. Correct. We had to take care of uh, that brother's family, children. That's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. And maybe there just weren't that many people to go around. Maybe it was it was oh, pretty much. No, I'm there's serious. There's a lot of begetting in here. It seems like there could have been. There's a lot. Be- well, you're right. There was some begetting go- to be gotten. But, um, yeah. Okay, either way. But, he, yeah, it does seem like he married his niece. Now, Avram and Sarai. Sarai was also Avram's niece, somehow. I forget already the family tree on, on her side. But they were also somehow related. Maybe not niece, cut, whatever. So, either way, the bottom line is that um, the journey begins, it's stopped, and next week Avram is told to carry on that journey. 
One thing I need to mention. How did Haran, how did Haran die? How did this brother die? It all goes back to why the place was called Orkastim. Orkastim is translated here as, the, as Ur of the Chaldees. But Ur also is, can mean fire. And this goes back to the king Nimrod, who we spoke about yesterday. King, king Nimrod, the Torah says, was a mighty and powerful king. And he was also all about idol worship and self-worship. He had the people worshiping him as a god. He called himself a god. And Avram had started thinking about and also offering and, and speaking about publicizing the idea of monotheism. And the king did not like this young upstart, Avram, who was you know, telling people about monotheism and one God, basically saying this Nimrod character is a joker. This Nimrod guy, he's nothing. He's a human being like you and I. He's nothing. God is God. This guy is nothing. The wood statues, nothing. The, the, the stone stuff, nothing. God is God. That's it. So the king felt threatened. And he warned Avram. And the king lived in Orkastim. So he told, or Orkastim was in that, was in that uh, uh, kingdom. The king tells Avram, stop your talk. Stop promoting this. Or else, you're done for. Avram didn't stop. So, the officers came. They grabbed Avram. And, they, and he warned them again. Stop or else. He didn't stop. Stop or else I'll throw you into this furnace. There was a fiery furnace. He said, not doing it. They throw him into the fire. Miraculously, Avram survives. This is considered to be his first test of faith. He had ten, famously, Avram had 10 tests of faith. This was number one. Would he be willing to stand by monotheism under threat of being thrown into a fire? And he did, and he survived. Well, afterwards, right after he got out, they asked his brother Haran, what about you? Are you also monotheistic or are you um, with Nimrod, the king? And he said, I'm with my brother Abram. They threw him into the fire and he died. And our sages tell us the reason why he died is because he didn't really believe. He just followed his brother's lead, but he didn't really believe. So he didn't have his own merit. He was just trying to piggyback, so to speak, off of his brother, and it didn't work out. Anyway, either way, that's, um, that's why his brother never makes it out of Orkastin. He literally passed away, or was killed by the king in that episode. Avram survived. You can imagine that Lot might have been carrying around some baggage, some trauma from that experience, knowing that his father died trying to emulate his brother, and now he's under his, that brother's wing, his uncle's wing. That creates a lot of drama, as we'll see as the story plays out. Between Lot and Avram, they don't always get along, and ultimately they have to separate their own ways. Okay, so that's a little bit about um, the ending of the Torah portion. So what's, before we get to the Haftorah, because we're, we're going through the Haftorah today. It's a short Haftorah, but it's beautiful. So, but before we get there, let's just summarize what we learned today. Today we read about, um, let me pull this up. Today we read about um, the, 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 the sin or the episode of the Tower of Babel. There was unity, which was good. So it's good that people are getting along, but not good what they were using the unity for. They already had unity, might as well use it for a positive thing. It wasn't positive. They used their unity for either nefarious purposes, or at the very least, arrogant purposes, selfish purposes, self-serving purposes. God says, we're going to split you guys up, diversity, and that's a blessing also. Um, and then we read about the generations between Noah and Avram, and uh, we set the stage for next week, and really for the rest of Torah. Torah begins, well, begins from the beginning, 
But the, the Jewish story begins with Avram, which is how we begin next week's Torah portion. And it's amazing. There's a famous uh, Hasidic aphorism statement that says, the, the, the Torah portion of Bereshis begins on a, on a good note and ends on a sour note. Begins with so much promise and ends with corruption. The Torah portion of Noah, this Torah portion begins with corruption and destruction and it ends on a good note with Avram. Next week, Lech Lecha, oh, it's a good week. The whole week we live with Avram. Every day, every day DPP will, will be learning and speaking and thinking about Avram. It's all good. Okay, that's it for this week's Torah. That's what. That's Can it. Can I make a quick sure. comment about this? So you know, the um, at the beginning you said you yeah, have a babble. The people wanted fame, right? That was one of the issues. Yes. I just have to share because you know one of you know things we learn from you is that if we envy other people, we don't just get what we envy; we get their whole life. Right? Yes. Yes. The whole package. <laughs> Right, and the whole is so. I I, I was I haven't heard this on the commentary. You you must know you know that young lady that was uh, apparently murdered when she went with her fiance out. You know what I'm saying, right? Oh, laundry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but the thing is, their whole thing before that was an Instagram fairy tale. Right. So this should be a cautionary. You know, so they had an Instagram fairy tale that whole trip. It was all recorded, right. and they were so happy. I mean, no one has mentioned this in the news. You know, that should be used as a question. You know, right? And then what happened after? Right, Instagram fairy tale that everyone's envious of and everyone wants. Right. And then we see the actual reality. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I think yeah, no, it's it's a good point. I and I think by now we should know that what we see on on anything, whether it's. TV or film, you know, movies or social media, Facebook, TikTok, um, Instagram, Snapchat. What you see is not necessarily the reality. So you might see a beautiful, you know, a, a, a rosy picture of something, but we don't know what's going on. The dynamics. Sometimes it's fine. Sometimes it's innocent. Sometimes it's it's actually a, a, a positive experience. It's very tragic what's going on. Very that 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 thing is is just horrifically tragic. Now they're looking for the guy. It's it's just it's yeah. crazy. Joy, yeah. I do like um, the Rashi after number nine. Let me check it out. After yeah. number nine. Let me do some toggling. Oh, whoops! Hold on. Let me share this. I'm like looking at it on my end, but I'm not sharing it. Hold on. Sharing is caring. Verse number nine, scatter them. Ah, oh, here we go. This teaches us that they have no share in the world to come. Now, which sins were worse? Those of the generation of the flood or those of the generation of the dispersion, the tower? The former did not stretch forth their hands against God, whereas the latter did stretch forth their hands against God to wage war against him. Nevertheless, the former were drowned while the latter did not perish from the world. So the question is, it seems like these guys were worse. They were starting up with God. The, the flood guys didn't. Um, so why is it that they were punished more than these guys? That is because the generation of the flood were robbers and there was strife between them. And therefore they were destroyed. But these behaved with love and friendship among themselves, as it says, one language and uniform words. Thus you learn that discord is hateful and that peace is great. Beautiful. That's a good message. That's a good message to end the Torah portion with before the Haftorah. The idea that God will, God will overlook 
his own grievances with us or our grievances with him as long as we're getting along. It's like, you guys are getting along? All right, I'll let you, uh, the tower will, you know, we'll, I'll make sure you don't do it. But like, but if you're not getting along between, between each other, that requires a little bit more of a, of a, um, of a punishment. Okay, good. So let's get along. Now, let's jump into the Haftorah. So let me explain a little bit about what this is and, and what the origin of this is. The Haftorah is always taken from the books of the prophets, from various sections. A lot of them come from Isaiah, Ezekiel, I mean, from all, all throughout Scripture. Not five books, but the other Jewish books. The history, the way it's told, is that at a certain point in time, under a certain regime, Jews were forbidden from reading the Torah on Shabbat. Why? Because there was an effort to stamp out Judaism. They figured if people couldn't read it, if Jews couldn't read the Torah, so then that would slowly, you know, make that practice forgotten. And once you disconnect from tradition, it's a quick, it's a quick jump to Judaism just disappearing altogether. Well, Jews are resourceful. And uh, the, 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 what happened in, in the aftermath of that decree was that Jews got together and read not from the Torah, they read from the books of the prophets. And it's called the Half Torah. And it's a smaller section. It's read with a bit of a different tune. And it's appended to the Torah portion. So the Torah portion is read. Then the scroll is, 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 is wrapped up. And then somebody reads from a book. Somebody reads the Haftar. That's the way that it's done in, in many synagogues, at least. Some read from a scroll, but most read from a book. The Haftar of this week comes from the book of... I say, oh, one more thing. When, when, the, when that... Those communities established this custom of reading the Haftorah because they couldn't read the Torah. They found a section that somewhat thematically relates to the Torah portion as a, you know, as a, as a stand-in for the, for the Torah portion. Now, once the decree was rescinded and we read the Torah portion and we, and we read it to this very day every Shabbat, we still kept the tradition of the Haftorah because tradition. It became a new tradition and now it's, now it's tradition as well. Um, does Haftorah have a translation, the exact word? I'm not sure. It, I'm sure it does, but it's not, it's not half Torah. It's, um, it's, it's spelled with a different, a different spelling altogether um, than Torah. It's with a tes and not a tuf. Two different letters in Hebrew make that T sound. It's, it's the other letters. So it's, I'm not sure what it means. Um, oh, maftirin. Maftirin means dessert. Ain't maftirin. Like regarding the that would make sense, right? It's we, like after the dessert. The seven portions, seven, right? Then you have your dessert, the sweet. The half Torah may be like the dessert, like the you know right. after you finish the entree, here's a little. Oh, uh, Abdallah, you know, you end on a sweet note. Right. Yeah. It's, so it may, it may be related to that. We have to look that up. I'm sure you can Google it and find it. Um, Rabbi Google probably knows all and tells all. So this week, it comes from Isaiah, chapter fifty-four. And in this section from Isaiah, I, let me give you a little bit of background, very quick background on Isaiah. Isaiah was from the royal family. This was at the time of the first temple. Uh, the first temple stood for 410 years. So it was like in the second half of that temple era. There were many generations and many kings that rose and that lived and died 
with the second temple, with the, sorry, with the first temple, 410 years. So it's a, lot, it's a long time. Think about it. How, long, how old is America? Right? Put it, let's put it in context. The United States of America is far less than 410 years old. So the, the, the first temple, just the first temple, not the second, the first temple stood for 410 years. The second half of that temple era is when, at some point, in the, is, when Isaiah, is when Isaiah lived. He was the, uh, the, the nephew of the Jewish king. There were then two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. He was in the southern kingdom that had Jerusalem and the temple. The northern kingdom had already been attacked by the Assyrians who had started exiling the northern kingdom. They had picked off the northern kingdom. We talk about the lost tribes, the ten lost tribes from the northern kingdom. That process had begun. The prophet Isaiah had attempted to keep at least the southern kingdom and really all of Jewry monotheistic and intact and dedicated to God and on the straight and narrow. The northern kingdom was notoriously um, idolatrous and, and, and polytheistic, even though they were Jews, but it was, idolatry was rampant. And so he tried his best, Isaiah tried his best to uh, encourage the people to, to keep the faith. At the same time, he prophesied about destruction. He prophesied about exile. He prophesied that this was going to come to an end. But then he also prophesied that even as it will come to an end, it will once again be rebuilt. And this is evocative. And this is throughout the book of Isaiah. You have the promise of exile and the promise of redemption. You have both sides of the coin. And when I say redemption, I don't mean the second temple. I mean the ultimate future redemption with Mashiach. Isaiah is one of the prophecies where a lot of the messianic uh, idea, uh, teachings come from, from Isaiah. So this particular excerpt that we're going to read, it's a quick, it's a quick read. The one for this week talks about Jerusalem being rebuilt. It talks about God no longer exiling the Jewish people or bringing them back. And it's evocative of the flood story where there's destruction and then rebuilding. You with me on this? There's destruction, there's punishment destruction, at least on the surface, and then there's rebuilding. And God says, once we rebuild, we're never again going to bring a flood. So too, the future redemption, once there's that redemption, there will never again be an exile. Are you with me on this, on the parallel? Right, so just like the arc of, of the Torah portion is down and then up, so too is the Haftorah talking about not so much the down, but the ultimate up, and, and that, and it's referenced. God in the prophet, the prophet speaks for God, so to speak, channels God's message, and actually references the waters of Noah, as you'll see. So let's jump in now. That's by way of introduction. So let's jump in and study it together. By the way, there are different customs about how much of this to read. Chabad reads only a smaller section. Other communities read a longer section. And I want to share with you, once we finish this, another verse or two from the longer section. Um, just because I think it's cool on it, and you'll see why. Here we go. <coughs> Isaiah chapter 54. Very symbolic. Everything is symbolism. Seeing you barren woman who has not born. This refers to Jerusalem. Jerusalem who is barren, who um, was wiped out, and, 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 and no, none of her children were there. No children around. Because <coughs> everyone was exiled. So he says, seeing you barren woman. In other words, when Mashiach comes, when the Messiah comes, you, Jerusalem, will sing again. Burst out into song and jubilate, you who have not experienced birth pangs. For the children of the desolate one are more than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. In other words, the children of the desolate one, the Jews, 
that are scattered <coughs> will ultimately be stronger than the children of the married woman, in other words, than the children of Edom and, and the other nations that antagonize the Jewish people. So we're talking about the, the redemption and the return of the Jewish people. Widen the palace of your tent. Jerusalem, open up your borders, so to speak, and let them stretch forth the curtains of your habitations. Do not spare. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For right and left shall you prevail, and your seed shall inherit nations and repeople desolate cities. Yeah. Fear not, for you shall not be ashamed. And be not embarrassed, for you shall not be put to shame. For the shame of your youth you shall forget. The shame of your youth means exile. Right? You will forget that shame. And the disgrace of your widowhood you shall no longer remember. In other words, when there's redemption, all the sorrow, all the pain will be forgotten. For your master is your maker, verse 5, and the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer. The Holy One, the Holy One of Israel shall be called the God of all the earth. In the Messianic era, God will be recognized by all people, by all mankind, and that's going to be the ultimate redemption. For like a wife who is deserted and distressed in spirit, has the Lord called you, right? It's like imagine, not imagine, I mean, but, but a, a, a wife who was kind of sent away, right? Out of uh, the husband wasn't so happy. That is then called back, right? This is what it is. This, the return of the exiles after in the, in the Messianic era will be like the one who is rejected coming back. For like a wife who is deserted and distressed in spirit, has the Lord called you? And a wife of one's youth who was rejected, said your God. In other words, like just like, and, and I'm not saying anyone should send anyone away, but just theoretically, right? Someone who sends away his spouse, the love of his youth, because something happened, and then says at a later point, you know what? Let's get back together. That's what's going on here. God sent us out. God exiled us in the, in the Messianic era with the redemption. That is us coming back. That's God once again bringing us back. And God says, for a small moment have I forsaken you. Small moment. Okay, it's, it's been a minute, but relative to God, I guess it's a small moment. I've, I've forsaken you for just rega katon. Small moment. And with great mercy will I gather you. With a little wrath did I hide my countenance for a moment from you. Just a little and just a moment. And with everlasting kindness will I have compassion on you, said your Redeemer, the Lord. For this is to me, God says, as the waters of Noah. Now you know why I was chosen for this week. For this is to me as the waters of Noah, as I swore that the waters of Noah shall never again pass over the earth. So have I sworn neither to be wroth with you nor to rebuke you. In other words, just like I did bring the waters of Noah, but then I, I, I stopped them and I said never again. So too, I have promised to you Never again to have wrath, I'm assuming means wrath, like anger with you, nor rebuke you. Once the redemption happens, it's going to be good and good forever. For the mountains shall depart and the hills totter, but my kindness shall not depart from you. In other words, other things may happen, other things may be precarious, but my kindness will never depart from you. Neither shall the covenant of my peace totter, said the Lord, who has compassion on you. And so it's a very positive Haftorah. Some of them speak about negativity and, you know, 
be, warnings, be careful lest this, that, or the other happen. This one is all about love. That even if it's been painful, even when it's been um, um, exile, it's not going to be forever. It's going to be a relatively short amount of time before we, we have the redemption. And God will once again re-embrace us with that type of love that he had for us back in the day. So that's the nature of the Haftorah. And again, it parallels the Ark of the Torah portion where you have the, the, the flood waters, the destructive flood waters, followed by the promise of never again and once again re-embracing humankind. Here you have it with the Jewish people. You have exile, which is not even mentioned clearly. It's kind of like, in re- it's referenced, but it's not like focused on. You have the, the exile, but then the ultimate redemption, which takes us out of that place, and it's an eternal redemption, never again to experience exile. So that... Who that, wrote this, Rabbi? Was this the Isaiah. Isaiah. Oh. This is Isaiah the, wrote this? Yeah, no. this, is, this is part of the written Torah. When we, when we say written Torah, it's, it's the five books of Moses plus the books of the prophets and scripture. So there's 24 oh. books in total. There's what we call Torah, but I mean, Torah could be used in any manner of speech. So... The five books, and then you have the books of the prophets, including Isaiah, and then the books of the writings, like um, Psalms and Esther, the book of Esther. Those are all part of the written Torah. The oral Torah is after that. And alongside that, it's like the, the stories that are not written in, but we have a tradition of. But it's, um, it's either outside that text or after that text is the oral tradition. So this is part of the written Torah. I feel like I wanted to share with you something. Oh, I did, yeah. Okay, Ray, jump in. Well, I, I just was wondering um, whether the story of Abraham and Sarah, where doesn't Hashem tell Abraham to send away Hagar? Um, I, I mean, it's not really what you're referring to, but does it fit in at all? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's the idea of rejection, yeah. The, the idea that he sent her away and... Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's directly, but that's the negative part of it. This is the positive. This is even after you've been sent away, God will bring you back. This is a very hopeful prophecy, this one right here. By the way, I did want to mention this, and so we'll close it out in a minute because we're, we're at the time. The next few, few verses, which Chabad doesn't read, this we read it on other occasions, but not in this Haftorah. I'm going to read you a translation from my Chumash. It says, O Jerusalem, you afflicted, storm-tossed one who has not been comforted, not yet been comforted. I will lay your floor, I will lay your floor stones upon antimony instead of sand. I don't know what that is. And lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your window panes from emeralds, your gates from carbuncle stones, and the floor stones of all your borders will become desirable gems. Speak about gemstones in the prophet. The very next two verses speak about how adorned Jerusalem will be, how dazzling and how brilliant, how beautiful Jerusalem will be when it's rebuilt in the Messianic era. So it's a, it's a Messianic prophecy. It's about a better time and a better future, a time when we'll feel God's love. We won't have to, you know, um, to figure out that even in the pain God loves us, but it will be that embrace that we automatically feel because it will be the Messianic era. May it be soon. May this Shabbos already be a Shabbos with Mashiach and let us say, Amen. Amen. All right, good. So that was the Haftorah for this week. 
you can certainly still continue to study it and explore it. And um, we'll continue it, please God, next week. All right? A few quick announcements, and then we'll close out. Announcement number one, tomorrow we're doing our first ever Shabbat Learner Service, 10.45 a.m. to 11.45 at Chabad in town. Um, so join us then for a special Learner Service edition on Shabbat. That's number one. Number two is um, I announced that we're doing a brand new, uh, a new lecture. I mentioned it last night as well. It's called the, Sup- the Hasidic Superwoman of Night Court. And it's, uh, we're, we're hosting ju- uh, the Honorable Judge Rachel Fryer, known as Ruchi Fryer, who will be speaking about her experience, the first ever um, uh, federal, uh, um, uh, federally appointed position of an Orthodox Jewish woman in history. Incredible story, an incredible woman. She's done some just tremendous things. You definitely want to check this out. There have been documentaries about her and New York Times pieces on her. She's, it's just an incredible story. So join us on the 19th of October for that special evening, 8 p.m. All right, that's it for right now. Have a good Shabbos, everyone. We'll see you guys soon. Take care. Bye. 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 Good Shabbos. Take care.